G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. If you have ever considered writing a book, then you'll recognize that words are important. And when it's words that create popular culture around us, it may be something that, as a Christian believer, we need to think more about, more deeply about, in creative ways that will bring Christian values to the fore in every element of our lives. Our special guest over this next hour is author and speaker Belinda Pollard, who is a book editor and publishing consultant of 20 years. She loves to encourage and inspire people to write and publish excellent, influential books. So I want to open our talkback line. You might like to participate in our conversation on 1-800-316-316. A special welcome to 2020 to you, Belinda. Thank you so much, Neil. It's wonderful to be here today. Well, we've been planning this for a little while, and I've been excited about the idea of talking about words and popular culture because they go hand in hand. This is something that you've been thinking about, reflecting on, writing about uh, for decades now. When you think of words, do you think of just words of entertainment or do you think of words of influence? I think it's interesting that um, our Lord is described as the Word. In the beginning was the Word. Um, Words can be so powerful, can't they? They can be powerful in positive ways. They can be powerful in negative ways. Uh, And one of the things that I said to you when we were talking about this is Christians are known as the people of the book. We're referring to the Bible there, obviously. But we're the people of the book. So why are all the bestsellers um, being written by the enemies of faith? Why, are, why is all of, this, all of this influence that's swirling around us in popular culture coming from the enemies of faith? And I think we need to um, not underestimate how much our society has shifted uh, in in recent decades, because of this very fact, people. Um, one of the things that's important to me is I actually write for a mainstream audience, not a Christian audience, and that's quite difficult to do. And it's something that I've really wrestled with over many years. Uh, it's it's hard to do it. It's much harder to do it, but um, I feel that it's so important, and I really want to encourage because I know for a fact. <laughs> because I was one of them, that there are people sitting out there today listening to this who are thinking, oh, I really, what I really want to write is, um, you know, a mystery thriller or a romance novel or something like this, but I must write something more worthy. I must write a Bible study or I must write a, a devotional. Uh, and I want to say, listen to what God is asking you to write. It might actually be a different thing to the person next to you, the one next door, and all the other people in your writer's group. Listen to what God is asking you to write. It's interesting when you start to talk about that because if you think you've got to write something more worthy, (laughs) you might think that somehow or other you need to have a theological degree in order to write something that's Christian. 
what you've just done is uh, you've taken that and you've turned it on its head and said, do you know what? You understand some simple values from our Christian faith and the application of those into the literature you might produce are going to be just as valuable for your readership as perhaps someone who's writing a deep theological treatise. Yes, well, if you think about it, think about the New Testament. Um, Half of it's written by a theologian in the Apostle Paul, and the rest is written by fishermen and people like that. Uh, It's uh, And yet all they needed to do was tell their story. The Gospels are all stories. Jesus was a storyteller. Jesus used fiction to reach people with the message of the truth. All of his parables, they were stories. Uh, He knows the value of story. And I think, too, one of the things that it really actually just hit me this morning, God is creative. We forget that so often. We feel like like sometimes our creativity and our imagination and the wild things that we think of um, are, are other than our faith. There's something different, something separate. But actually they came from the same creator. He's creative. He's imagining things. Uh, We are the result. This whole planet, this gorgeous planet. Um, In Brisbane this morning, we had a technicolor sunrise. It was absolutely beautiful. God imagined that. He created that. He He created us, the beauty of human beings and the way that we relate to each other. So many amazing things. Sometimes I think as Christian believers, uh, and we are, uh, you know, if we talk about uh, crunching numbers, the minority when it comes to popular culture. And if we talk about the nature of humanity, uh, there is a certain sense in which we all come from this sinful nature and we want to gravitate towards that sinful nature. So when we talk about market-driven popular culture, uh, the things that people are wanting to read, the things that people are wanting to watch, it sort of is driven by this idea that, uh, well, our sinful nature desires those things. And so popular culture is created as a result of a sinful nature. Uh, What you're talking about is being completely countercultural to that and becoming the influence to the culture that's created on a mass scale. Yes. It's um, one of the things that really bothers me uh, about the way that Christians are, put, are portrayed in popular culture, we're either the, um, the fool, the Ned Flanders kind of character in, in The Simpsons, or we're serial killers. And um, I don't know about you, Neil, but I know a lot of Christians who are neither of those things. They're, uh, we're all kinds of things. We're flawed. We're fascinating. We're, uh, we think deeply about lots of things. We're creative. We're courageous. We're, we're, we're amazing people, just like every precious human being, every precious one of the seven billion human beings on this planet. And one of the things that's... Um, that I do with my writing. Uh, one of the things that I've written is a uh, is a mystery thriller novel. It's about a bunch of um, old school friends who go out into the New Zealand wilderness, uh, get lost, and basically start killing one another. And uh, it's the the reaction. Yes, I love the way you're laughing at that. Yep. But um, some of there's uh, there's these two uh, lovely women at my church. They're both older women, two sisters who live together, uh, and um, one of them said to the other, because they both read my book, one of them said to the other, how could Belinda Pollard write such an awful book? (laughs) And her sister loved it because she reads mystery thrillers. Uh, But 
But I have to tell you that one of the most special bits, and this is a mainstream thriller. This is not, this is not a um, a thriller with um, you know words from the Bible on every second page. This is just a mainstream thriller. But I have tried to weave into it what I call grace notes, little hints of the kingdom, little hints of eternity. Uh, one of my major characters is a very strong Christian, but he does some silly things, and he's up against a really difficult situation. Uh, and I explore through him. Uh, what's um, in terms of bringing in a little bit of that um, that uh, spiritual aspect to it. But uh, one of the most wonderful pieces of feedback that I had was from a, a British reviewer who is a self-described atheist who described my book as a number of nice words like um, poignant, fascinating, whatever, whatever, uh, but ultimately life-affirming. An atheist found a book about a bunch of people going out and killing each other, life-affirming. Now, I'm hoping that's opening a little bit of something in her mind. Also, uh, another woman that I know, she's a, she's a nurse in uh, an Australian country town, and uh, she loved this book because she said, uh, I can give this to the women that I work with in the hospital because I couldn't give them a Christian book, but I can give them this book and it might just open an opportunity for a conversation with them. Well, you're turning on its head something of the image that we sometimes have of someone who might be a Christian who writes some sort of a fiction book because when you describe your book uh, about uh, family getting or friends getting lost in the wilderness and starting to kill each other. We don't think that Christians write about that. We think that Christians write about uh, friends getting together and having a tea party and uh, looking <laughs> across the fence and seeing beautiful ponies in a green lush paddock and yes. butterflies. Uh, but, uh, but that's not necessarily connecting with where people are at. And we might be able to reflect on on uh, thinking on good things, and that is an important part of uh, who we are as Christian believers. But there's also this engagement with the culture uh, that needs to happen. And you're turning it on its head. You're saying, write about real things, but apply your Christian values into those. Yes, introduce the possibility of the Christian worldview. And one of the things that I do, this is it's the first book in a series. So there's two continuing characters. They're journalists. And um, one of them is the strong Christian. He's a good Baptist boy. And uh, the uh, the other one is a is a young woman. She's actually an atheist. She's pro-abortion. She's a whole bunch of things. And um, I really like her. It's funny you get to uh, you get to really know your characters when you write a book. You just live in it for so long. You get to know these people, and it really you you start to miss them when you don't see them anymore. It's a it's a kind of a mental illness, really. But um, <laughs> you do. <laughs> you do have these imaginary friends that you spend so much time with and and you want the best for them and you want things to work out for them. And in my very first idea of how this book would happen, um, this atheist pro-abortion lady uh, was going to sort of have a, have a come to Jesus moment in the book. And um, I didn't end up writing it that way, partly because it's a series, but also because um, we've got to be real and it takes... 
it takes time. It takes a very long pe- time for people to start to warm towards, particularly in today's culture. You know, we can't have the we don't have the big tents out in the paddock, and and you know the buses will wait. We've we've sort of in a much more cynical and suspicious era where people really need to take a lot longer to be gently wooed into the kingdom. And if you're going to be authentic. As an author, you have to be able to recognise that you and I and everyone is a part of a a flawed humanity. And so you do have to actually write about the flaws of humanity before you can talk about a redeemed humanity, where you can actually draw a line in the sand and say, well, uh, now we're going to be like Christ, but this is what we're like behind the scenes. This is what we were like. This is what we are like as sinful humanity and, you know, uh, the whole idea of a new creation. Uh, Once I was lost, but now I'm found. But let's talk about how we were lost first and then describe what it means to be found. Yes, you've got to understand how horrible it is before you understand the value of your salvation, haven't you? Uh, And even just if if you look at the whole, you know, thousands of years of biblical history, have you read the Bible? Like the Bible is not a positive peppy book on every page, is it? (laughs) In fact, sometimes I say some parts of the Bible ought to be R-rated. Yes. (laughs) And in fact, you say that in some uh, company and people go, oh, I better get have a look at those bits. go and get a you know? copy. Yes. Actually, that's some, sometimes it's the biggest inspiration to go and uh, read the Bible because somebody says they are flawed characters. They are. Uh, there is a dark side to the characters in the Bible and really that's what uh, often brings to life uh, this idea of a contrast between uh, what we were and what we are to be. And uh, But we'll continue our conversation in just a few moments. This is 2020 with Neil Johnson. Helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Our special guest is author and speaker Belinda Pollard, who's been a book editor and publishing consultant for 20 years. You can be a part of our conversation today on 1-800-316-316. Belinda, let's uh, in fact take a call from Mary Ann, who is in Logan Lee in Queensland. Hello, Mary Ann. Welcome along. Oh, thank you. Uh, um, um, sorry, I forgot your name. Belinda. <laughs> um, my name is Mary Ann, and I have been reading the King James Version of the Bible since I was 10 years old. I'm now 76. I love the King James Bible. It's... There is no need for me to read anything else except daily light. Daily light is, of course, all scripture, and I love it. I love it every day. And, yeah, just a minute. Marianne, you are a purist when it comes to uh, your uh, your uh, the way that you are so loyal to your Bible reading, and that is a very, very significant and powerful thing, and I think that is actually the highest bar set uh, to actually only read the Bible. Uh, most people in popular culture, uh, most people who are our neighbours, people in our communities, are reading all sorts of things, whether it's uh, newspapers, uh, the internet, uh, blogs and uh, magazines. Uh, what's your response? I'm just on the phone. <laughs> Marianne, well, let's hear from uh, Belinda. Belinda, Marianne is, she set the bar very high. I only read the Bible. 
Yes, and she only reads the King James Version. The King James Version is actually, it's quite beautiful and poetic, isn't it? And a lot of the uh, a lot of the Bible that maybe is in the back of our minds that's recorded there uh, in our memories is often in the King James Version. And I think that's a, that's a positive for it because it makes it more memorable. I think it's also great if uh, people can read other other versions of the Bible, and particularly people who are maybe picking it up for the first time today, uh, they might find it difficult to understand that version. So I think it's lovely that there's lots of other versions available too. And I think there's there's room for all of us in this world, and uh, I think it's lovely that Marianne is reading her Bible every day. I am never going to say to someone, don't read your Bible every day. That's an absolutely fabulous thing to do. And while it is a good thing to read your Bible every day, it's perhaps an arguable thing that it's good to read widely about your culture as well because if you want to engage with the culture you have to understand what people are in fact reading themselves what they understand uh, how they address the sorts of ethical issues that we might have in a society so uh, while we might say the bar is highest if you only read the bible um I, my own personal opinion would be you do need to read more widely as well uh, you need to uh have the sword in one hand and the trowel in the other because, uh, you know, that takes us back to uh, rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem uh, after the exile, the idea of defence as well as building. And uh, there is a certain sense in which while we're building, uh, we do need to engage with all sorts of uh, literature. I think too, Neil, one of the things we all as Christians really need to do is ensure that we have friends who are not Christian. Uh, we can withdraw into our holy huddles and we um, we never and it's lovely because there's there's support and there's encouragement and there's a sense of uh, being part of something with other people uh, and that really helps us as humans so it's fabulous to have fellowship with Christians but I also think it's so important that we have friendships with people who are not Christian and real friendships you know I have um, I remember one day at church uh, I was mentioning to uh, to the congregation uh, when we were having a bit of a discussion afterwards I was mentioning that uh, I have friends who ask the universe for things uh, and they laughed um, because to them that was just funny uh, but the thing is, that's actually a really genuine thing for many, many people today. They, uh, they ask the universe for things. Now, I could say, well, I ask the creator of the universe for things, uh, but that's not really going to open a conversation with them. But that's just one tiny example of how I think it's, it's so important that we, we get together with our neighbours, with our friends, that we actually develop relationships with them. We understand where they're coming from, what they're thinking about, what's important to them, what they're talking about. And that's the thing that's going to help us to write for them. Uh, we have to know where they're at before we can write for them. I want to say thank you to Mary Ann from Logan Lee for your input today here on 2020. one 316 if you'd like to join in our conversation. Let's hold on to this point for just a few moments because when we are Christian believers, and if you've been a believer for a long time, you do have a good, godly, theological idea and what you're growing Christian worldview is about may be actually very sound and very right. But if you are mixing with your friends, uh, if you are interacting with your wider community, you soon discover that there are sorts of people who 
have completely different ideas. And it's even within the church, too, that this happens, uh, where you've got people who understand a biblical idea of of heaven. Uh, and then you've got those who want to try and mix into that all sorts of ideas about reincarnation. And as you say, Belinda, people have all sorts of crazy ideas. They they want to sort of sound a little bit politically correct, so they want to acknowledge that somehow or other there's a creator out, out there, so they just pr- pray to the universe. Um, there's a weird uh, a whole set of ideas. So if we don't write as Christians, if we don't use words to try and influence the culture, we just let let the culture uh, go in all sorts of crazy directions. I think too, Neil, we need to have um, a deep respect for others as well. Um, the we might know that um, that the way that you know that Jesus has revealed the way to God to us, and we want to show that to people. Uh, but we also need to understand the ways that they're reaching out for God. Some of this stuff, um, this more new agey kind of stuff, I actually find it encouraging because people are thirsty for spiritual things. They're reaching out. They're, they're, they're aware that there is something other than them. I have one friend who's been, uh, she was an atheist for quite, for you know, till well into her 20s. And then she began to understand that there was something else. Now, at the moment, she's still reaching towards the universe. She's wanting, um, you know, there's a, there's a movement called The Secret where you work out that, you know, what you, what you expect is what you get and all of this kind of stuff, which um, as Christians we know is a bit of a distortion of the truth. Uh, but, um, you know, the, people are really hungry for, for spiritual things and um, by respecting them and loving them and sitting down and talking with them and just sharing with them about our lives and how we do it day by day, it's, it's far more likely to be accepted, to be heard, to be understood by them than if we just say, well, you're wrong and it's this way. At some point, there needs to be a place where people are, in fact, introduced to someone who is outlining biblical truth Mm. and understanding of reality. But as you're saying, Belinda, there is a whole process uh, that leads people to a point where they might be asking the sorts of questions that are going to give opportunity for someone to then pass you on a book that actually has biblical truth in it. Yes. Uh, but there's a there's a process there's a learning curve that people are on and there's a you know there's kind of the various distances from from uh, from the gospel or from making that decision and um, some of us some of us as writers some Christians as writers might be writing for the people who are already crossed that line they've already given their life to Jesus, become Christians and uh, dedicated their life to him. Some might be writing for people who are getting very close to that line and they're very interested in uh, in Jesus as the way, the truth and the life, but they're still figuring that out. And some of us will write for people who are various instances further away from making that. Some are uh, God deniers altogether. Um, others are moving in and they're, they're starting to understand a spirituality, that there is a spiritual side to their lives and that perhaps there is someone out there who's bigger than them. Uh, and uh, so there's all those different distances. And I think uh, one of the things that I've found uh, difficult for me as a writer, because I mostly write for the people who are a bit further out, uh, is getting 
understood by writers who are writing for those who are either in the Christian world already or close to it. Uh, and it's and I wrestle with that in myself as to what I should be doing. And so I know for a fact that there are other writers out there listening to this today who have this exact same uh, conflict in their heads as to as to what they should be doing and how they should be writing. So I'd, I'd just like to encourage them to um, to continue to refer back to God uh, and continue to pray and to work their way through to what their role as a writer is meant to be because it'll be different to everyone else's. Now, on your website for Christian writers, gracewriters.com, you have a survey. Uh, what does that survey try to do? Does it help you actually understand where you are on that spectrum of uh, of where you would be writing, uh, whether it's for the completely unchurched and people who are, you know, into all sorts of weird and wonderful thinking, uh, or it puts you somewhere on the spectrum up towards uh, writing for the uh, rock-solid Christian believer to continue to d- develop in maturity? What does your survey do? It does have a question about that, but the main purpose of that particular survey, which is on gracewriters.com, is for me to get information from the writers who are out there, Christians who are writing for the Christian market, the mainstream market, um, whether they're being traditionally published or self-published, so that I can learn about them and work out what they need so they can tell me. This is what I need to know. This is the problem that I have. This is the thing that I can't figure out so that then I can start to generate resources, pull a team together who will help us to um, to help one another, to help so that I'm, I'm seeing this. Um, I, used to have, uh, I used to have a vision where with my business I was helping sort of one writer at a time with, uh, with them getting their, their words out there into the world and I was also writing my own books which uh, had their little bits that they were carrying some grace notes into popular culture. But it's actually been just growing and expanding in these last few months and I'm seeing something so much bigger because by, by helping and encouraging and empowering a whole bunch of writers like me, I, can, I can't do that one-on-one but through workshops and blogs and um, perhaps online courses and things like that, um, online communities and forums – I can help empower a whole army of Christian writers who are out there changing the world one word at a time and putting out these grace notes into popular culture. If there's a whole army of us doing it, how much sooner is society going to change? Uh, Let's talk about that, Belinda, Uh, how you write a book. Uh, You know, there's that question, should I write a book or should I just write a blog? How do you respond to people who say, I'm not sure how far I can go. I desperately want to write things, but I'm not sure whether I write a book or just write a blog. What are your thoughts? I think uh, both of them are excellent alternatives and uh, there's no there's no, um, uh, there's no way in which a, a book is sort of somehow more worthy. It depends what you're called to do. But also a blog can actually be a stepping stone to a book. If you really want to write a book but you're not sure if you can, start with a blog. Uh, it's a blog's an excellent way to build some muscle in your writing ability. Uh, 
over time, as you continue to write and you write to a schedule, you know, maybe once a week or once a month, it depends how busy you are. If you continue to write, you will get better and better. You will also start to build a community around your writing, people who are interested in the sort of things that you have to say, the sort of things that you find important, and people who like the way that you express it. And you'll get feedback from them. And feedback is just so essential to a writer in growing and becoming a better writer. Sometimes I have authors in the studio and they've written a book and they've everybody has a dream that it'll be a bestseller. But not everybody has that expectation every time. And oftentimes people will put a dedication in the front cover of their book and they'll say it's dedicated to my family. It's as though I've put my thoughts on paper so that my children will grow up knowing that these are the thoughts of their parent or their grandparent. Uh, There are all sorts of motivations for writing. Uh, The idea of writing a bestseller might be a a great thought, uh, but most people will not have a bestseller. They'll self-publish, but there'll be all sorts of other motivations to write. That is so true, Neil, and that's an excellent thing to raise because uh, we all have different reasons for writing. And to write... One of the amazing things is with the new technologies that are available today in self-publishing, you can write an actual book for your family to pass on, uh, you know, the most important things that you have learnt and understood over your life. And it's written down and it's there available uh, for your children and for all the subsequent generations. Uh, Some of the... uh, Would you like me to just talk you through some of the technologies that are available today? One of... um, There's been, uh, I call it, you know, it's like a Copernican shift in the way that publishing works. You know how uh, we used to think that that the sun revolved around the earth and uh, and then it was Copernicus who had identified that, in fact, the earth revolved around the sun. Well, we've had that bigger shift in in publishing in recent years and it's almost like... um, well, a lot of the power has gone back to the authors, which is fantastic. Uh, and uh, a lot of people are running and scurrying and trying to keep up with the pace of the change. But there are three main things that have made all the difference uh, to the way that we can we can now publish a book in our second bedroom in our pajamas and get it distributed worldwide in both ebook and paperback formats. And if we are do-it-yourselfer type people, we can even do it almost for free. It is just an amazing world. Uh, a lot of people have heard of ebooks. Um, some people uh, read them all the time, but some people might never have seen them. They're really just a, they're really just a, 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 it's a book. It's the same words of the book, but you can read it on a, little, on a little device with a screen and you can change the size of the text to suit you. So it's fantastic for people who like a large print edition because with an ebook, every, every book is, a, is available in large print edition. Uh, so uh, there's ebooks, which is one technology. The second technology was um, print on demand. The way that that works is that you produce all the same printing files for a book that you would produce if you were putting them to a printing press, but you upload them to a special website and uh, they are put into a computer system. And then they are fed out all around the world to where these uh, different printing uh, systems exist in different continents. Uh, And uh, when someone orders a book, it is printed and, uh, and bound and trimmed all on this enormous thing, a bit like a photocopier on steroids. And the book that you get 
is a book that virtually uh, most people cannot tell the difference between this book and a book that's come off a printing press. But you can print one book at a time. And so what this means is that you can have your book on bookstores like Amazon, Book Depository, Booktopia, all of the different big online bookstores around the world, and someone in Europe can order that uh, order that book. It's printed in Europe, and it's it's shipped to them from somewhere in Europe. You never touch it, so you can have uh, you can have your books distributed all around the world. And so the distribution is the third element of it. And that's actually really the game changer because, you know, as I said, someone in the second bedroom in their pyjamas can actually have their book made available on all these massive bookstores all around the world. That will be very heartening for listeners to our conversation today, that it may not be as hard as you think to get your book published. We are taking calls on 1-800-316-316. Let's hear from Philip in the Blue Mountains in New South Wales. Hello, Philip. Welcome along. Yeah, good morning. Um, yeah, look, I've got a, a really big question. I just want to sort of know what your thoughts are. Um, I, I mean, I, I, I believe in the Creator. There's, there's definitely a God, like I, I, I'm, I'm sort of about there. But uh, there's one question that other people, you know, when you speak to them, why would a creator uh, like God uh, create uh, beings that, that would go astray and then come down and be crucified to sort of redeem them if he had known what was going to happen in the future because God is, can, can see the future? I was just wondering what your thoughts on that. There's maybe... Maybe nobody knows that. Well, uh, certainly more a uh, theological type question than one to do with publishing. But uh, I guess in a nutshell, uh, we would say that God was not taken by surprise when sin came upon the human race. In fact, because he created as free creatures, we had an opportunity to be able to choose either to obey God or to disobey. And so we go back to the Garden of Eden, we appreciate Adam and Eve, and we recognize that Adam and Eve decided to disobey God. Now, God wasn't taken by surprise in all of that. In fact, God was already looking towards a time when he would redeem creation, when he would take creation out of the slavery that would be produced because of the disobedience and would actually create an opportunity for humanity to be free from that slavery that comes from sin. And that's why we look to Jesus Christ, who was God's way of resolving that whole issue of sin. So I'm not sure that's a very full answer, but it is a, in a nutshell answer, Philip. And and I'll we'll cut you short there because we're actually talking through uh, issues of publishing today. But I want to appreciate the fact that you've called through and that you've uh, had a question, and I, I hope that's a, a more solid answer than uh, than you might have had before. And there'll be other days on which we'll actually tackle that type of topic in a more detailed way. So, Philip from the Blue Mountains, thanks so much for being part of 2020 today. So, taken a little bit off track there, but did you want to add anything to that at all, uh, Belinda? I think uh, probably the the main thing that I would add is that God created people for genuine relationship with him. And you can't have relationship with a puppet. So uh, he created us uh, as um, 
kind of self-determining beings in a way. Uh, and um, unfortunately, we self-determined in the wrong direction. But, uh, but he was there and he was ready and he's been reaching out to us in love, uh, drawing us back towards himself from the time, from the time of the apple in the garden. Uh, so, uh, and all of the problems that we see in the world today having been caused by our decision that we wanted to be the gods of our own lives instead of um, surrendering to his leadership of our lives. And it gets deeper as we talk about the issue of love and how God shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ came and died for us. And in that, God actually surrenders to us. We take his life. And in that surrender, his love is shown forth because uh, he loves us so much that he was prepared to lay down his life for us. Uh, we'll continue uh, perhaps uh, on our publishing discussion, but <laughs> that was a nice little interesting aside. Mm -hmm. uh, let's come back to pub publishing because I know that if you've got this desire to write a book, and we were saying, you know, write a book or write a blog, and you had a wonderful way of saying the technology's changed so much that it becomes so much easier for us to publish uh, some of the things that we might like to write, Belinda. What about women and men? Uh, because as I understand it, uh, women have some more uh, challenging issues to face if they're going to write. I think it's um, one of the things that happens, Neil, is that um, women spend their whole lives kind of um, putting their children first. And uh, which is a lovely thing to do, you know. They make sure their children have all the lovely things, but they don't, you know, all the all the really nourishing food and this and that and the other. But they they'll balk at spending four dollars on some blueberries for their own breakfast. Um, this is a really common thing that I that I talk, um, you know, as I talk to women, this is something that I come up against again and again. And and when it comes to writing, they're worried about allowing themselves the time to write because writing is such a frivolous thing. So they will run all around the country driving their children to, you know, to their tennis lessons, their music lessons and to and um and their and their husband goes off fishing on the weekend and all the rest of it. But they feel they just feel a little bit constricted and as though they cannot spend that time on their writing hobby. Um and I would just say to them you know, your family probably doesn't know how much you want to do it until you tell them and they're probably going to support you because they love you and they are probably going to say, oh, okay, well, you can have, you know, if I have a couple of hours on my hobby, well, maybe you can have a couple of hours on your hobby too. So um, I just really like to uh, encourage women out there today uh, to, um, to be encouraged that if writing is something that you really, really want to do, don't ignore that. If um, if it's just something that flits across your mind and you think, oh, I'd like to write a book someday. I mean, every time I, I go to places and I speak or I, um, at, at different events, um, there's always people come up to me afterwards and they say, you know, oh, I've always thought I had a book in me, you know, and, and the difficulty, of course, is getting it out of you. But um, sometimes people are just thinking, you know, Oh, you know, oh, squirrel, you know, it's just they're off on to the next thing. But for others, it's something that's really deep inside them. It's this really burning thing that just will not go away. It nags at you and it nags at you and it nags at you that you want to write. If that sounds like you today, don't ignore it. That is not a mistake. 
remember again, um, as we said earlier in this discussion, God is creative and God has given us so many creative gifts and one of those creative gifts is writing. If he's given that gift to you, he hasn't given it to you by mistake. And you might think, well, I haven't had the training. I'm not a professional writer. Um, I don't even have very good grammar. Well, one of the books that I'm, I've been editing just recently is for a writer who doesn't have fantastic grammar. But, oh, my goodness, the stories that she has to tell. And um, as we've worked together, her grammar has got better and better. But the stories she tells just glow with life. Uh, don't underestimate your ability to tell a story just because you didn't learn all of the all of the different parts of grammar and speech and whatnot, or you've forgotten them from school. Don't be, don't let that hold you back from becoming who you were created to be. Well, there's a couple of books that you brought in for us today, Belinda. Uh, two of the books that you've written. One is called Dogged Optimism. Uh, the other one is called Poison Bay. I imagine the Poison Bay is the one about uh, eating your friends. Uh, <laughs> okay. Not, not, not actually eating your friends. But <laughs> well, uh, we've got a couple to give away. And uh, if you would like to have one of uh, Belinda's books, one called Dogged Optimism, uh, the other Poison Bay, uh, we might not uh, be able to... Uh, discern uh, discriminators to which one you actually get. But uh, first two callers through on 1-800-316-316. The first one through will get Dogged Optimism. The second one will get Poison Bay. And uh, you'll be able to uh, test and see uh, how Belinda's writing goes. And there might be something of an inspiration in that for you to write your own book uh, when you see the sort of things that Belinda writes and the sort of values that come through in the books that she writes, which are not theological books, but they are books that are fiction books, but are filled with all sorts of fabulous Christian values. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Well, we've been talking about words and the way they create popular culture. And so we're talking about books and book writing. And our special guest, Belinda Pollard, is talking through some of those issues with us today. And we're really coming into a point where we want to tie a few loose ends together. So, Belinda, just in these last few minutes for our conversation, let's talk about how you get started. Because someone will be listening to us today who is saying, I agree with everything Belinda's saying. I am that creative person. I don't necessarily have all the grammar or all the understanding about about things, but I really do want to write a book. But how do I get started? What's your advice? I think the best advice, Neil, is to just write and to turn off that part of your brain that's saying, I'm not good enough, I don't know what I'm doing. Just start writing. Now, it'll be different for each person what works better. Sometimes it's a good idea if, you, if, you're, uh, if you're a touch typist, you know, if you're good on the computer, just sit down and just start bashing stuff out. But for others, it'll work better to write by hand in a notebook because uh, it accesses a different part of the brain when we write by hand compared to when we type. I would suggest just start imagining, start writing. And once you're underway, as you start to write, experiment with different things, different kinds of things. T- tell stories from your life. Tell, tell imaginary stories. Uh, just start writing and see what really sings to you and what you really want to write more of. Uh, allow yourself 
to uh, to discover the writer that you were meant to work to be along the way. You don't have to have it all figured out beforehand. You're a book editor uh, and as well as a consultant when it comes to publishing. If you don't know all of the, the finer techniques, uh, having the wonderful uh, grammar, but you've still got the ideas you want to get onto paper, you can, in fact, access someone who can help you, like yourself as a book editor. That's right. And there are some fantastic editors in Australia, and uh, you can find them through the Institute of Professional Editors uh, on that website. There's the You can search there. Or um, perhaps if there are people listening who are editors and you're good editors and, um, and qualified editors, send me your details, and I might be able to put them on the gracewriters.com website as well so that we can make that a place uh, for finding help with uh, practical things as well. Well, I love to give uh, further details about where people can get uh, information about the topics we talk about on 2020. Gracewriters.com and smallbluedog.com. When people go to the gracewriters.com, and that one's uh, specifically there for people who are Christians who want to get their thoughts, their values into the writing that they're doing, what other resources are on there? Because you mentioned there's a survey that helps you understand where they're coming from. What other resources will people find there? Neil, that website is brand new. Okay. So there's very little on it now. Uh, there's there's uh, there's the first post of a blog and there is uh, the opportunity to do the survey. And what I'm going to be doing is asking questions, finding out what people want. If you If you go to that site, go to that first blog post and leave me a comment. Tell me. What do you want to know about? What are your questions? What do you want to know? What will help you become the writer that you were meant to be? Because I want to continue to be providing more and more stuff there. I also want people to be helping and supporting each other so that we can uh, we can help each other become the writers we were designed to be. And your Small Blue Dog publishing uh, site there, smallbluedog.com, what's, what will people see if they go there? That one's got um, masses of resources for, uh, for writers of different kinds. Uh, it's, got stuff about, um, it's got stuff about self-publishing. It's got stuff about how to write books. Uh, there's like, uh, there's, I don't know, 60 or 70 articles on there all about, and they're all free. You can just go and read them. Different stuff. Uh, there's a few videos and, uh, and how to how to pull together a group of beta readers who are the volunteers who read our manuscripts and give us feedback on them, uh, how, to, how to market your writing, how to blog, how to uh, all of this kind of stuff, the whole wealth of information relating to writing and publishing in uh, 2017. Okay. Well, those two websites, gracewriters.com and smallbluedog.com. Our special guest this hour has been author and speaker Belinda Pollard, who is a book editor, a publishing consultant of 20 years. And Belinda, thanks so much for coming in today and sharing your heart and your knowledge and your understanding about publishing and for the inspiration for people to actually make a start and start writing that book. Thank you so much for being with us on 2020. Thanks so much, Neil. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.